Are we recording, by the way? Okay. No, it's all good. I just wanted to... I was like, before all I just, right. like, now use this... Gone. Before I just use this as an opportunity to, like, cold open transition into something, I should better make sure that we're actually all, like... Just, like, starts the show. No one else is actually recording. It's just me talking to an empty void. Yeah, they have to... It's a Patreon goal to unlock everyone else. Right, we went I over this about, last time. Actually, like, yeah, no, that'll be... That's the story of why Dylan's not here. It's not that Dylan isn't here for anyone who's listening. It's that Dylan just... Yeah, he's he is the stretch goal. Billy was the stretch goal last time, and this time uh, it's Dylan's the stretch goal. So if you donate... We should just, like... We should pretend to be like, oh, Dylan, that's so funny. Oh, yeah, just at random points. That's great. I, I have oh, actually started recording now. Excellent. Which I'm gonna trim. Yeah, my, I'm, I'm recording now as well. A little bit. All right. Sweet. We're all. Uh, we should oh, all be Oh boy. Good yeah. So. I went this morning. <laughs> kind of start unrelated as we always do. Uh, yeah. Why I'm so late? My brother bought a boat like an old 1975 like beat up ass little like bass fishing boat i guess it's like a 15 okay. foot boat and uh he's just been super into it and like it's not like my brother it's not like you know a normal hobby of his but he like rebuilt this whole boat and got it working and he was like do you want to come fish and i was like i mean i went fishing once when i was like 11 so sure let's do it uh, but then cool. we ended nice. up, yeah, we ended yeah. up being out there a bit longer than we had planned. That's you had this, late. You had this family fun. family bonding experience. Yeah, I was, me and my brother out there, we didn't catch anything, but like you know, what are you gonna do? We got to putz around on the lake and fish a little. You gotta pretty bring fun. The, bring the water skis with you next time. I don't. That boat's pretty small. <laughs> I don't think you can. I like. <laughs> Well, that can be. That, there's a Christmas present idea for you. you. Could get him like a 200 horsepower outboard motor to strap to the back of this yeah, small go. fishing craft. And no, see. no, his thing. It's got a gas engine, but like it's got some issues. Apparently, this boat sat in someone's backyard for like 20 years, right? Um, but it has a gas engine. He just hasn't gotten it working yet. So he just has like a little uh, electric. What is it called? Trolling motor. Yeah, yeah, trolling motor or whatever. So yeah, we just putzed around with that. I think it has like nine horsepower. Nice. It's decent yeah. for a trolling motor. Speaking of things that have low horsepower and potentially electric motors. Yes. Um, yes. Welcome to Cactocracy episode on uh, drones or unmanned area vehicles. It's Jonathan. Uh, hey. He's back. He's yeah. We, we so, thought we got rid of him, but he came back to hijack the nope. show again. Yeah, you, yeah. He's holding you gotta us try hostage harder again. Than that. You got to try harder than that, people. You can't just tie me in a chair in a basement. Well, because as we'll discuss, Jonathan has a fleet of um, surveillance unmanned aerial vehicles that he was able to use even after we escaped him to relocate us and drag him back they swooped in and grabbed us like some sort of sci-fi nightmare and they carried us uh, to an undisclosed location that i believe is similar to that giant flying stupid fortress thing from the new black widow movie um, i was gonna say it may or may not be owned by amazon <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's where we are we're back in back in jonathan running the show um so please send Whatever it was, Bitcoin or Ethereum or Doge, I don't know, Shiba Inu, 
what yeah, some of those the, nonsense things d- digitally transfer those <laughs> uh, nfts they, yeah send nfts of top gun top gun nfts to yep. this address and uh maybe johnny only the volleyball go. scene though. <laughs> <laughs> playing with yes. the boys you know what i'm talking about yes i do oh. yes. How, how, how could any pilot not um okay so cool. yeah un, unmanned aircraft so that you know a couple weeks back we talked about manned aircraft into the kind of the 20th century now we're gonna talk about unmanned aircraft because there's some there's some funny stories along the way here and some some great general incompetency um before we were talking about the faa now we're just kind of just a little more a little more general a little more big picture i mean there's a lot um, of government institutions and like yes. militaries involved in this one yeah, i'm pretty sure so. If we have to tentatively pick an organization, let's pick the U.S. Army because they're, they're <laughs> the biggest. Um, they're the biggest dum dums in this this episode by far. Yeah. So, so yeah, when you're talking drones, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, like you know, I'm thinking. My first thought was like um, civilian drones, right? Like a small little sure. quadcopter or something. But then, how large? Like, I assume the U.S. military has very large unmanned drones right yeah the, there's the upper limit um because you got like the, the x-37 which is like the mini space shuttle that thing's huge oh all right i'm gonna look that, that goes X-37? up yeah it's it's kind of it's it's really spooky because it's like the air force basically acknowledges yeah it's a thing it goes places oh we're not gonna oh, tell you my. anything else yeah That's it just goes up into drone? space it goes up into space and it sits for you know weeks and months on end. Wasn't and then it comes one of back its down. missions? One wasn't one of its oh. missions literally like two years that it just like hung out in orbit. It or was something? a long, yeah, a long. Time. Okay, here we go. Seven hundred and eighty days. On yeah, the that is mission. super cool. I've never heard of this. And that's how the Air Force would like it to be. That, yeah. Yeah. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the and definition. Yet here of... I am looking at a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank God for open source intelligence. Um, yeah. So we should probably before we even you know get get too deep into this, um, we should address the elephant in the room. Why we've, we've already gone back and forth. Why do we call it a drone? Um, and why, you know, why are some people call it an unmanned aerial vehicle, right? Where does this word drone even come from, right? Because it's kind of kind of a weird word. And yeah, uh, the best I could come up with is so like you go to the Webster definition of drone, right? And one of the definitions is an uncrewed aircraft or ship guided by remote control or onboard computers. Uh, and it's like okay okay how do we get that and there's not a whole lot of information on it the best i can find is um it it kind of relates to like worker male honeybees right because those are called drones as well uh, okay okay and original like kind of the early history we'll get into this is target drones uh they called them target drones and one of them was the de havilland queen bee uh, which is a converted tiger moth, you know, tween V, maybe, right? Maybe, because it's not super clear definition there. Uh, personal, personally, I think it comes, and this, this, there's some other people that tend to agree with me, is it comes from the vehicles making drone, the engines make droning noises. Because normally when you're listening to a propeller-driven airplane, you know, the prop changes pitch, 
because uh, the pilot's you know jockeying with the throttle and he's pitching yeah. and rolling and banking and a lot of these drones they would just fly in a really straight really even line and they would just kind of drone around and it'd be like yeah. okay this is droning noise yeah. of the engine so that's and that kind of tended to stick because people call oh yeah those droning things the target drones and then you know then the, the in the 60s especially the the army and the air force you know they love their acronyms they call them unmanned aerial vehicles unmanned aerial systems you know and whatever and but the press would want something that's a little more palatable for the general public so they use the word drone and there's just kind of this back and forth of the dod's using unmanned aerial vehicle and then the press would use the word drone and eventually now in the last five years or so the faa particularly has given up and just like all right it's a drone you <laughs> yeah. win there you um, go. We just need to come up with it. an acronym that drone would stand for, and, oh, then, and then we'll make them happy again. Like, what would sure. it be? Like the dynamic robotic um, aircraft operational. I just aircraft know. misspelled. Just orcraft. Aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> orcraft. Near, near yeah. Earth. I don't know. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But then, so yeah, so then, you know, so that's basically the, the history drone comes from. But then it's like, okay, um, what's a drone and what's a, you know, as we'll get into this. Um, anyway, let's actually go to the beginning uh, before, we, before we get into the, that. So the, the, the very idea of, you know, machine. an unmanned aircraft um, really does predate manned aircraft. You can go way back, you know, you could argue a kite. You know, a kite is a it's an unmanned aircraft, right? It's a tethered it's, drone. It exactly. It, it yeah, sustains. It's designed to sustain flight, right? So you know, that's a that's an aircraft by the FAA's definition. We've we've been over this. Uh, gliders, you know, hand hang hand gliders, hang gliders. Well, hang gliders technically manned, um, but you know, paper airplane, uh, more advanced versions of paper airplane. Uh, the Wright brothers figured out their designs. First, with gliders that they would fly by string, kind of make them a kite. Um, balloons, uh, unmanned balloons, you know, observation balloons, those are manned. But, you know, again, this kind of this idea of. Um, Is an arrow an unmanned aerial vehicle? We might be stretching a great question. Yeah, that would be more of a projectile. Right, so that's that's you might as well you might as well go into like okay, what's the difference between like a drone and a cruise missile? Yeah, or just a bullet, right? Like, yeah, it's like, well, a cruise missile is designed to be fired and doesn't come back home. But as we'll get into some of these vehicles, that it's fair to call them drones. I think. Um, also, were single use, you know, designed to kind of be single use or oh. maybe reusable. So it's, it's it's a very blurry line. Um, it turns out landing is really hard, uh, especially when you don't have a human being on board the vehicle, and that's something that is still like a major engineering challenge. Well, it wasn't like, like there were literally land. like, I can't remember what the one name of the drone was called. It was like a pioneer or something. And didn't they just like literally just catch those things with nets? Like that was the yep. landing system. Oh, yep. what? right. Literally designed current modern designs, like the Boeing scan Eagle are designed to be caught in wires and nets. Like, that's nice. how we recover it. Yeah, huh. um, this is like currently in service. Yeah, so yeah, Pioneer was the RQ2. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that one a little later. 
Uh, but yeah, modern does it's like it's still like kind of tricky. Like we've gotten pretty good at catching them at nets. Don't get me wrong, but it's still like yeah, like why do we need wheels? Like it's not doesn't have a human on board, right? They don't have to. We don't have to have a human climb into it or anything. Um, but Just anyway, so it with a catapult and catch it with a net, and we yeah on yeah gear. <laughs> yeah. So is, you know, drones with utility crazy. though, right? True utility. Uh, kind of a dream, really, until the early 20th century and they, they came about are you um, just gonna crush the dreams there. of all these children flying their kites <laughs> and say they have no utility jonathan is exactly. that what you're here That's, to do i am i am those are to- toys for amusement right okay. although i think <laughs> there was somebody put a camera on a kite that was like one of the first aerial photographs I'm not mistaken, but again, the first like... NSA agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, a dude with a kite and had a camera on it. It's like again, it's like okay, cool. But um, you know, airplanes start becoming useful in you know the late late teens, early twenties, uh, then you know the twentieth century, nineteen twenty or so. Um, but airplanes are expensive, and uh, single-use airplanes is something only the military could could even begin to afford. Um, so when, it ta- when we talk about UAVs and use cases, you know, especially for the military, there's kind of three. We call them the three Ds of the d- of of drone designs: dull, dirty, and dangerous jobs are ones that are ideally suited for. You know, you want a vehicle that doesn't have a person in it. Right, so dull stuff, uh, repetitive, boring, you know, aerial survey stuff, patrol, um, what we call the ISR mission, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, right? Go fly for six hours in a circle over that town. Uh, human pilot hates the idea, drone doesn't care. Um, dirty work, right? Uh, crop dusting, uh, nuclear inspection, utility inspection, stuff where there's, you know, exposure to hazards. Um, drones are good for that. Um, dangerous stuff, right? Uh, aerial targets, right? Uh, pilots generally don't appreciate getting shot at, uh, especially by their friends. Wasn't uh, there a time during like the World War II era though, where they like would practice? I know they would practice with with like basic drones, basically. But didn't they also do like essentially like the sky advertising, except they were shooting at the banner? Where they toad, would, like, yes, have, toad have, targets. That's yeah. that's still a thing. That oh, that is neat. literally still a thing today. Uh, one of my old bosses would fly a Learjet that was towing a target behind it. How and far? They would reel behind? it in, and it would have. Oh yeah, uh, I think it was like a couple miles. Okay. okay. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, don't miss. Like. Yeah, and it would come back, and it would have chunks taken out of it from the, oh, the twenty millimeter shells. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. like a couple miles is. I guess it's good, but in the grand scheme of the range of some of these weapons they're using, like, yeah, that is a little, like, two <laughs> mi- two or three miles, like, make, make sure you're yeah, hitting the right radar, the right radar blip there. Like, yeah, make sure your radar locked onto the right thing, you know, VID and all that. Yeah, so, yeah, aerial targets. Um, there's also, you know, the, the, if we want to talk modern for a second, is the loyal wingman. Uh, which is a Boeing design, I believe, that maybe it's Lockheed Martin. One of the big defense companies has come up with this idea of basically, yeah, here's this, you know, uh, $3 million thing that can be a missile truck. And also you could, if you have a missile coming towards you, you can have the, the loyal wingman get between you and it, right, and blow up and, and we don't lose a pilot. 
uh, or a $70 million, you know, F-22 or something. So anyway, different, you know, again, the kind of, that's yeah, the, the future of ride. warfare is just like a series of drones flying into each other in like permanent yeah. stasis over it's just robots robot war yeah 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 as much as this you know yeah we could get to the future we just we reached that perfect balance so between we figured out like you know where is the border between a cruise missile and a drone and we achieved <laughs> yeah. that and then it's just thousands of missile drones just impacting each other. And whoever Pretty runs much. out first loses, I guess. Yep, war of attrition, more or less. I mean, better that but, than um, a bunch of humans. So yeah, so one of the, one of the first utilitarian you know, drones with utility was, um, was called the Kettering Bug. And it was a, the airframe was designed by the Wright brothers. Uh, the engine was designed by Ford. And they would launch it on a dolly, uh, and it was a it was basically a bomb with wings. So the, again, this is we're blurring the line of cruise missile, right? Because this thing was literally yeah. designed. They called it an aerial torpedo, and it would uh, it had a little gyroscope in it that would tell you its heading. It had a, a basic altimeter that would keep that let it keep altitude, and then it had a a little thing up front. It would count how many times the engine had had revved you know how many it had cycled counted the revolutions of the engine and yeah. once it hit a certain number um the engine would shut off and the wings would would pop off and it would dive to earth and explode cool. um it didn't work <laughs> shocker it's spoiler shocker, it didn't work. Yeah. um it it was there's footage of it I, I put some in the chat i don't know if you got a chance to see it um it 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 had a penchant for crashing on takeoff um, and even if it was in the air, it was really wobbly, uh, cause it turns out a hundred year old, hundred years ago, gyroscopes weren't that good. Um, oh, <laughs> it would get into these weird oscillations. I was told that we don't build them like we used to. Well, that's true. Um, but in, in a good way. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This thing was, um, not great. Uh, post-war, uh, World War One. So this thing was kind of, kind of World War One-ish, kind of mid-interwar period. Kind of, they, they worked on it for a and while. This was, this was the U.S. military doing this, right? Yes, yes. This is the the Allies. This, this is. Um, we'll we'll get to uh, yeah, the, the other European. Because I think most later. people probably with like a knowledge of you know that era, I guess, would probably say that the V one is like the first attempt at we'll, like a we'll get missile. to the v1 yeah yeah we'll get to the v1 yeah the, the kettering bug predates the b1 by a while but it's just that the kettering um, bug didn't work yeah it didn't work <laughs> okay excellent so yeah so post-world war one you get radio control right this radios had come a long way um and are coming a long way in this time you're starting to get radio broadcast and and there's a lot being learned about radio control and there's a lot of different forms of this. Uh, the most common is line of sight, uh, which is where a human you know, watches the UAV, controls it by radio command like a pilot. This is where we get the idea of the joystick uh, as, a, as an analog for the aircraft flight control stick. Um, the, control, the operator can be either airborne or ground-based. Um, you know, there's cases of both of these. Um, really, it's like a modern radio control aircraft. Um, you know, like a model aircraft. It's the same idea. They just scaled it up. 
Um, in some cases, they would put like a flare on the aircraft or, or some of the first um, missiles uh, that were used this way were, would you know, they basically guide the flare into the target. Um, it's not a great method of control, though, because uh, you can screw it up pretty easily. It requires line of sight uh, to the vehicle as well, because you have to be able to, the operators to see the vehicle to determine its orientation and all that. Um, one particular interesting example of this, uh, World War II era, uh, which is, again, this is where I said the U.S. Army is kind of the big loser of this, is Operation Aphrodite. Uh, have either of you heard of Operation Aphrodite before? No. No, I've heard of Aphrodite, okay. but... Was yes, it a beautiful it's... success? As would be indicated <laughs> um, by the name Aphrodite? You know, they were hopeful going into it. But um, no, no, that's why it wasn't. So let's say you're a general, right? You're a general in the army. World War II is on. You know, the, the war is on. You're trying to defeat the Germans. Uh, you have a handful of bombers, B-17s. They've they've outlived their usefulness. They're old models. They're 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 tired, uh, but they're still airworthy. Um, they're kind of dangerous to fly, but they're flight capable. Okay. What do you do with them? I'm see just based on like the conversation that we've been having. I assume it's something to do with we stick a crude radio controlled apparatus in there that can control the flight controls and then we probably like pack them full of bombs yeah and try yeah, to fly pack them, them into full something. of explosion correct that is the correct answer you pack it full <laughs> wow. of explosives rig it to fly by radio command and then you have a mission profile where you guide it to the target where it explodes um problem uh overloaded bomber like this cannot take off autonomously uh, we've gotten the <laughs> yeah? autopilot down to a oh. point where, where it can kind of go level. Oh, but I just realized can't take where this off is going. Oh, no. So oh, how do no. you solve that? Well, we uh, have we a guy get people. in, right? Okay. No, not just one. We have two people. Okay. The two people get in. They, they have to manually take off, uh, get the thing leveled out, activate all the control radios, uh, arm the explosives, uh, and then bail out over, over England. Yeah, sweet. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah, fun. Yeah, um... it's like the first stage of a rocket. Um, it's just that the first stage of the rocket is an actual like human being. It gets yeah. up in the air, and, <laughs> yep. then, the, and then it's the yep. person that jumps off yep. and falls back to Earth. So, I'm not gonna lie, though. What a sick fucking job title, right? Or like job that you have to do. It's, yeah, I go up there and then just bail out of these fucking explosive airplanes. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we might want to. I have a feeling we'll come there back might be that. a premature okay. detonation <laughs> or something about to happen. So, of course, um, the army and navy worked on this separately. They they both came similar ideas, but they worked on them separately because you know, of course. Um, first mission for the because navy. We, we can't uh, work together obviously. Like why would we want to do such a thing? Like Yeah, um August 12th, 1944, first mission. Uh so you know, just after D-Day, uh Lieutenant Joseph P Kennedy. Uh yes, that Kennedy. Uh one of multiple oh. Kennedys to die by airplane. Um is one of the two lucky souls uh, on board. Gets the airplane and cruise. Um, aircraft unexpectedly explodes over Suffolk, England, damaging uh, 60 buildings on the ground. Um, so yeah. it seems like it would have worked if it had just you know been over a German city or something. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, mission. The mission was to take out the uh, the fortress of Mimoyek, uh, which I researched the correct French pronunciation for that, which is the uh, the German V three launch site. That time to get that. Basically, it was a one of Hitler's wonder weapons. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, did, that also didn't work. Uh, so the another uh, mission, first army mission, was a few days earlier. Um, they had multiple aircraft. So uh, one of the planes lost control after the flight engineer bailed out, um, crashed near Oxford in the UK, making a huge crater, uh, destroyed more than two acres of the surrounding countryside, killed the pilot. Holy shit. Um, the other vehicle... Um, had its view obscured, so it missed the target by several hundred feet. Um, the next mission, uh, they actually got the vehicle on target, but it was shot down by flak. Uh, because it turns out if you fly a bomber at low level, you know, at medium speed, in a perfectly straight line towards the target, uh, it's an easy target for flak. It's uh, almost like you could use these things as target drones. <laughs> almost, yeah. <laughs> uh, another one uh, missed their target. Uh, by about 500 yards, which caused no damage. Uh, another mission, uh, 6th of August, more problems. Uh, both crews successfully abandoned their B-17s without complications. Uh, one of the B-17s lost control and fell into the sea. Um, the second also lost control, uh, then turned inland and began to circle uh, one of the larger towns in that section of the UK. Uh Autonomously, just this thing was possessed by a ghost and just starts like haunting (laughs) a British town. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, Okay. And then after a good while, uh, by some miracle, turns out to crash at sea. So I think they did like seventeen missions or something somewhere along that. None of them worked. Um. That's that's a great success rate. Yeah, they they ended up killing. I think it was like uh, it was like thirty people. I think in total, killed and injured. All of them British or American. Like there were no confirmed <laughs> enemy injuries or My casualties God. as a result of this program. Yeah, just it's just one of these cases. Like maybe we bit off a little more than we could chew here. Yeah, the world wasn't ready for this. Yeah. Um, American kamikaze turns out doesn't work so well. Yeah. <laughs> fucking terrible. Yeah, you gotta stay with the vehicle. Literally could have had a better end. success rate if you just found a bunch of suicidal people and asked them to just fly the plate into a building and still would have like ended up killing less total people or something. For, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, interestingly, their method of control was they had two television cameras in the aircraft. One would watch out the nose, and the other one would watch the instruments. And the pilots would basically follow in another B-17, and then there'd be, a, I think, a chase mosquito as well. Which, that was one of the other stories of one of these just blew up in the air, and it actually took out the mosquito that was following it as well. What is um, a mosquito? It's a De Havilland mosquito. It's a light bomber. The oh, okay. Built. Twin twin engine. It's, yeah. it's a blood-sucking so parasite. They're very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's the other mosquito. Um, so, yeah, um, interesting to note is the Germans had the same idea um, a year later, and their version of it actually worked. 
Um, it was called Mistel or Mistletoe. And it, they would take these old Junkers 88s and uh, fit them with explosives. And then they would have a fighter aircraft basically duct taped to the top. Okay. And he, the fighter, the pilot, there'd be a pilot in the fighter aircraft, and he would take off with the whole contraption. And then he'd get towards the target, get on an attack run, and then pull a lever, and it would, you know, cut the duct tape. You just drop a trapping. plane. <laughs> it would drop the plane, and then the fighter would fly away back to base, <laughs> and this Junkers 88 would go, and, and they, because there was actually a pilot aiming the thing, and he was actually on board, they were actually able to take out several bridges. So I have a um, question, and okay. I don't know the answer to this, but like... Why is it more advantageous? Because it doesn't seem like they're getting a whole lot of extra range or something out of it. Like, why is it more advantageous to literally have an extra plane that you're dropping with bombs on it rather than just dropping the bombs? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. It's this well, you, so you can get because you don't have. <laughs> they would literally take the whole nose off of the Junkers, and it, you'd get way more payload than you would just okay. with a bomber. It was it was pointless to fly these things in combat because they just get shot down. Like, it's going to yeah. get shot down, we might as well pack it with explosives and put it on a suicide course. That's true, I mean... So, yeah, you can yeah, just pack it, it with explosives as opposed to one explosive, right? Like, I guess, yeah, yeah if you're taking the engine out, so you have weight savings there and no fuel, I would assume. So it's yeah, they're just like filling. Well, no, they they still had it. It still had its engines. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they needed that for to lift and thrust. So and, it wasn't just that, yeah. like the plane on top of it was towing it or something. It was like no, no, no. So it's it, still fully or, functional. Yeah. And then, but oh, okay. If you look at pictures of it, it's it's the Mistel M I S T E L. It's a because it was a fighter on top and a bomber underneath, and this were now. What year thing. was this? Nineteen forty-five. That is kind of nuts that they were able to like yeah control another plane oh, remotely. In the, like, I have found the image. This is yeah uh, yeah. This is quite the thing. Okay. Yeah, they only built a handful of them, and like I said, they did get a handful. They did like I think like they only got like one or two on target because they had the same a lot of the same problems that they would potentially drift off course or they get shot down. Of course, Germans had you know supply chain problems. Um, oh wow, and... yeah. No, I'm looking at the pictures too. This is that's nutty. Yeah, it was pretty nuts, but it, it was kind of one of those things like too little, too late because. At this point, like they were using them to try to drop these bridges to stop the Soviets, but it's like, okay, you drop the bridge, and 18 hours later, the Soviets have a pontoon. Yeah, bridge. it does seem a bit like yeah. a German solution to like what's <laughs> the most expensive way that we could blow up this yes. bridge. Exactly. I will say, like, I don't know anything about airplanes really, but German these German planes look really cool, like design wise. Look, say what you will about National Socialism. It it produced some pretty freaking cool <laughs> Yeah, they look neat. I mean, you know, this one's got a big swastika on the back of it, but otherwise, otherwise the design of the cool craft airplane. looks great. Yeah, Millions dead, cool airplane. You know, like, yeah. who's yeah. to say? Pro, yeah, really? yeah. Pro, cool engineering. <laughs> Con, millions of dead people. Um, yeah, okay. 
So while we're talking about Nazi super weapons or well, we're Rundavata, all canceled, by the way. So oh yeah, oh, immediately yeah. canceled. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, we should probably talk about some of the Vergeltungswaffen or, or vengeance weapons. Okay. Um, the one, for example. <laughs> yes, uh, which is, as I have it in the notes here, a Kettering bug that freaking works. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's basically the V1. 1942 to 1945, these things were, were flying. Um, yes, it's it, it has a... So instead of a conventional propeller uh, engine, we have a pulse jet, which is basically um controlled explosions that's that's the that's the you know of course all engines are basically controlled explosions but this one is more so than others basically you just squirt a fuel air mixture into a chamber it explodes um you have these louvers basically on the front that slam shut and then uh there's this gas that gets shot out the back and it goes forward it's dead simple like really really simple as far as an engine like we're talking about like three moving parts in the whole engine i'm impressed that it didn't pointlessly have like 78 other components just because (laughs) it's the germans we're talking about here like all precision milled we'll get there yeah so they're super loud um they had an autopilot again compass and gyroscopes Mm -hmm. uh, but better than the kettering or an autopilot Um, yeah, get it because it's German. Yes. Huh. yes. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the Germans had the exact same mechanism as the, the Americans back in the day for determining when the target was reached. Uh, they had a little little itty bitty propeller on the nose that would turn, and uh, after a certain number of turns, it would arm the bomb. After a certain number more turns. Um, it would cut this cable that would cause the tail to uh, basically lock in like the nose down position and just basically force it into a dive. And then it would dive in and crash. Um, there's a whole long story that I can't get into how like the British were using um, spies to, to convince the Germans that the... Um, that the V1s were falling short of target. So then they would make keep making them go, or no, they, they were going beyond London. And so then the Germans would put less fuel in them to make them, or tune, you know, tune the mechanism so that they would end up, they would think they were putting them on target. They're actually putting them short of target. One of the other things they came up with was to have a special V1 that would pop a wire out the back. It would, it would like eject this wire and have it trailing behind it. And it would then broadcast a, a a signal that they could pick up back home and do accurate range finding of this thing and figure out where it crashed. And the the ranging data was saying, no, no, these things are going short of target. But the spies were all saying, no, no, they're going long of target. And basically, there's this one, you know, colonel way up, and he's like, well, uh, I'm gonna believe the spies, not this unreliable technical data. And anyway, uh, interesting. I thought the uh, story of like espionage espionage yeah we could talk about world war ii espionage and counterintelligence yes um so yeah that's 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 the v1 basic kettering bug that actually worked uh launched thousands of these things at london um 
And wasn't one of the preferred techniques when they intercepted them to, like, get them knocked out of the sky rather than shooting at them was to, like, fly and, like, try and tip their Well, they, yeah, they, they could shoot at them. That was, that was, they'd use radar to attack them. They'd, they would shoot at them. Um, but one of the other techniques they would use, um, particularly with the Gloucester Meteor, the, the Meteor Jet, because it was really fast, uh, would be to come up alongside these things, yeah, and, and just tip them over with the, like, hit them with the wing, you know, and gently and roll them over, because oh. the autopilot wouldn't be able to correct from that, and then it would just, you know, just crash. Um, but if it yeah. crashed, the payload would explode, right? Yes. But presumably but... short of the target, I think. They would, yes, yeah. they would do this short yeah. of the target, yep. You know, and just take out some cow and <laughs> field. We have ground yeah. beef okay, now. Fair. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, also, the uh, there's the V2, which is more of a cruise missile. It's actually a ballistic missile. Uh, many of the same technologies of you know uh, compass, gyroscopes, but this is just a rocket. It just goes up and then it comes down. Um, makes it impossible to counter because it's going so fast. You also don't have any warning either because it's supersonic when it comes in. So you, oh, it shit. explodes before you hear it coming. Yeah. Yeah. It was That's terrifying. bananas. Yeah. Um, on the more boring side of things, we have the uh, radio plane company over in the U S building uh, smaller scale drones. These are basically, <clears throat> these are basically RC airplanes, but they're like one third scale um, for target practice by anti-aircraft crews. So you're gonna have a, an operator that would, you know, control this thing, and, you know, make it turn or whatever, and then would give, you know, train any AA crews on how to how to shoot things down. Um, interesting footnote: Marilyn Monroe was discovered uh, in the entertainment industry while she was working in the radio plane factory building. Uh, radio plane drones. So, huh. yeah, that yeah, is a some... very interesting tidbit. Yeah, there's actually a picture of her working. It was like she was doing that, like modeling. Anyway, the radio plane. There's a picture of her like working on. You can tell us, oh, it's this little drone. Um, so yeah, as the years go by, we get uh, better gyroscopes, um, inertial navigation. Which uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that meme of the missile knows where it is because it knows where it isn't. That that's that's what that is, you know, inertial navigation, measuring drift, um, all these technologies, uh, and then the Cold War happens, which increases um, defense spending budgets to justify single-use airplanes again. Um, well, because you don't—it's the Cold War, and so you don't want to have a manned aircraft because it's very chilly. Yes, and so it's, yes, it's absolutely. easier to have an unmanned aircraft because it won't complain as much about being, you know, frostbitten. Exactly. It's perfect exactly. sense to me. So I feel like yep. the cacistocracy element of this episode is really more just like that it seems like the predominant use of these vehicles at this point is governments just trying to kill people. Yep. Uh, so pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, or or train way. people to be better at killing, yeah, the, or um, like kill people but without getting your own people killed, but also still managing yeah. to get your own people killed half the time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of that, because a lot of times these things would, um, like the V twos, like the fuel was so volatile that like if it just touched at all, it was even close to each other, it would just, it would just explode. Like they're just so incredibly volatile that. Um, 
like the, the fueling ports were like super clearly marked in every way. Cause like, if you just got one drop in the wrong spot, it would just explode. What the yeah. Fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just unbelievably volatile. And also like the, the chemicals by themselves were like volatile and corrosive and toxic. And are they super yeah, corrosive yeah. too? Where like, if you fuel it, you only have a limited amount of time that you have to launch or else it's just going to like, destroy the you fuel know, tank yeah exactly awesome. yeah you have to you have to fuel it and then immediately launch it or you're done yeah <laughs> super cool yeah there was like some story about some russian icbm that blew up because of that because they were trying to do a test launch in the 60s and they fueled it and they had a problem and they're like well we can fix it and then we can still do the test launch but meanwhile like it's this highly corrosive fuel so everyone's just like working on this now fueled ICBM as the <clears throat> fuel is just like slowly eating the fuel oh tanks. God. And then eventually that reaches the point where, you know, <clears throat> enough of it gets out of containment or whatever. And uh, yeah, the whole thing blew up and killed like 90 people or something. So nice. Yeah. Nice. That's just, yeah, just great. Fantastic. So, um, so airplanes dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> one of the one of the most successful drones of uh, the last fifty years, because it's been in production for this entire time, uh, is the Ryan Q2 Firebee, uh, which is basically a jet engine with a couple of wings and a little compartment up front for some <clears throat> instrumentation. Uh, and this thing is, it's really fast. It can do turns. It can maneuver like a, like an enemy fighter jet. Almost. Um, it can be programmed to do all this stuff without input from somebody else. So you just send it out to, to run up and down a range and train pilots to, you know, shoot oh, wow. targets. Yeah. Uh, it's jet powered. <clears throat> it would, but again, we have this problem of, okay, how do we take off and land? Well, we either drop it from a C-130 or launch it with a rocket. Uh, get it going uh, and then when it's time to come in we just have it pop a parachute and, and to be um that yeah. will either be snagged by like a helicopter or just land softly enough that it can be recovered um so this thing was used for aerial target uh as an aerial target of course and then uh, they later adapted it in vietnam uh, as a recon vehicle it would it would basically fly along a certain route and take pictures and then the picture would come out and it would yeah yeah just kind of crazy um even crazier was the qh50 dash uh the h as you may uh, notice uh, stands for helicopter uh, i did a presentation actually... about this once yeah it's basically a mini helicopter um that drops nuclear depth charges as right you do. Okay. yeah like what else would you do with it yeah, yeah exactly um or torpedoes <laughs> but you know who cares about who cares about torpedoes Those are boring yeah um, i think the original proposed problem they were trying to like breach which also yeah involved i mean the nuclear depth charges were essentially for the same reason but like <clears throat> the idea was like well we can detect submarines or theoretically detect submarines from further away than like our torpedoes can travel from the ship so what if we launch a thing it, it was part yeah it was part of it basically the soviets were building um submarines faster than the u.s was able to build uh modern anti-submarine frigates 
So it was like, well, crap. Well, wait, if we put little helicopters on these smaller frigates that can't fly normal helicopters, we make them more capable mm -hmm. to fight the Soviets. Yeah. So you're, you're so, essentially um, using it as like a range extender for your torpedo. Yep. Um, yep. So. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, used them until 2006 as uh, target tugs. Because, again, dull, dirty, dangerous. They can just keep going. Um, they would be remote controlled by a human for takeoff and landing, but then they could be commanded to you know, fly a certain grid search area or whatever. And um, So that was the first truly unmanned offensive drone um, that, you know, wasn't, you know, because you argue, well, the V-1's kind of a cruise missile. Like, this thing is reusable and can go on a mission to kill people and come back and then be reused and go on another mission. And that's really what's um, important at the end of the day. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Because we want to be able so, to kill people multiple times because that's where yeah. you get efficiency, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can start to do... Uh, you know, like specialization and how you're killing the people with a particular uh, process and you can sort of become better at that uh, and expand it and adapt it to other techniques. And, you know, eventually you can have one person killing thousands of people very easily and it's just a far more streamlined system than exactly. any previous way of killing people. Because <laughs> really the yeah. goal at the end of the day... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, another particularly just just bonkers design. Like this one is just just nuts. This is like pure unadulterated nineteen sixties. You know, chain smoking slide roller Kool Aid. Um, the D twenty one tag board. So this thing was supposed to go Mach three point three at ninety thousand feet to do reconnaissance. Right, okay. really blurring the line between aircraft and spacecraft, right? Like, yeah. Um, this is even higher and faster than an SR-71. So the, the D is not for drone, it's for daughter. Because, so, yeah. So anyway, so um, originally it was launched at Mach 3 by an A-12, which the A-12 is basically an SR-71, but different and run by the CIA. Um which became the M21, so the A12, the 12, and they turned to 21. So then it was the mother 21 and the daughter 21. Um, they redesigned it. So originally it was an A12, and they changed it to the M21 after a um, the fourth launch. The vehicle didn't come away correctly, and it took out the uh, took out I think one of the tails of the the A12. Um, the Pilot and backseater ejected safely, but then the backseater landed in the ocean because he was wearing this big pressure suit. He drowned. Um, so after that, they figure out, you know, maybe we don't need to fly this thing at Mach. Because so the reason they had to carry it on an A12 was because they had to launch it at Mach three because it had a ramjet engine, and a ramjet only works if you're going fast when you start it. So the only aircraft they could carry it that fast was the A12. Um, then they changed the launch mechanism. They said, you know, maybe that's a little, that's a little outlandish. Instead, let's just take a regular cargo airplane and drop it off of that. But we need still get, need to get to Mach three. So let's put a giant rocket, <laughs> like a giant rocket 
from a B-52. So the B-52 would carry it to like, you know, 30 some odd thousand feet. Um, and then it would drop it. This rocket would ignite, carry it to, you know, Mach 3. The ramjet would ignite. It would fly over. I think they sent like two of them into China. One of them crashed in China, and the other oh, one, I see this. they don't we really have know a what picture, happened to it. We have a picture of a D-21 wreck on display in a Chinese aviation museum. Yep, yep, how'd that get there, huh? Yeah, uh, and then the planned mission profile of this thing is that it would eject the film over the water uh, somewhere, and then a C-130 or a ship would pick it up. Didn't work very well. Um, some Eventually, you know, as the... 60s turned in the 70s somebody rightfully said you know maybe this is dumb because we have spy satellites we have spy aircraft we don't need an aircraft that's somewhere between the two it's I mean, just dumb all of this just sounds like people or governments with too much money and wanting to have fun yeah because right? these things sound like fun projects yeah right i mean that is fair like what if we just made a drone? slap a rocket to it let's go the Kerbal Space yeah. Program solution to, yeah, yeah, more boosters. Yeah, yeah. I love the. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, I like it's the idea neat, that maybe all of the the reason why there's so many redundant systems is because they're all classified and so they're just unaware of each other existing. <laughs> and so you just end up yeah. with these overlapping. <laughs> that's 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 a good theory. I, I mean. It could very well have happened at multiple points during the 60s. See, of course, everyone's on drugs at the time, too. So. A, a CIA and MI6 agent bump into each other on their way to assassinate some third world country's pro-communist leader. Like, oh, you're, you guys were also doing this. Neat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway... Um... So yeah, as we're getting into the mid-70s here, uh, technology is improving somewhat. Um, so then there's these uh, so there's these, these crafty uh, desert people who worship the one true god. Wait, that's not specific enough. Um, they've got <laughs> a lot of money. No. Oh, no. they got special dietary rules. Oh, no. That's yeah. actually, that's they actually don't multiple like pigs. people. That's also yeah. other, that's other people that live in the desert, too. There are multiple religious desert-dwelling groups that all still I know, uh, yeah, uh, they have their own religious calendar it's like a special calendar with its you're own talking dates. about texas right this is texas. <laughs> um, they've well, all they got dark hair pork, though oh that's true yeah yeah oh they, I mean, they I celebrate know hanukkah yeah i know who you're talking about i just didn't want to okay yeah yeah, yeah so these the jews the israelis right they they decide they need um an eye in the sky um in the late 1970s uh, you, you they, think god would just hook them up and like tell them what was going you'd on you'd think but they they want a real-time battlefield data link you know okay. they don't want to have to get a priest out for this all the time right um so they create Fair the enough. the tadirin it's, it's like the it's like minority report where there's just like three jewish priests sitting in a tank foreseeing the battle everything <laughs> Oh, or no there's six of them and they're sitting at the points of a star of david yeah ex- um, yes yes <laughs> okay if we weren't canceled before now we're definitely canceled. oh absolutely <laughs> yes um this is the secret episode you have to <laughs> give to our patreon to get this one <laughs> exactly uh so we have the the tadirin we have the mask dylan was basically actually the same design yes yeah his, his reputation will survive intact 
He um, works in the media industry. He can't. He can't be associated with this conversation. Exactly. <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, so the U.S. notices these designs, uh, probably through the CIA. Uh, says, you know, that's kind of cool. Let's copy their homework, uh, and they field the RQ2 Pioneer, um, which later becomes the RQ7 Shadow, which they're basically the same thing. Uh, and I actually worked with some guys who worked on Shadow. Oh. Yeah. And. Uh, when they were like debugging it, they they would or they're, like they're flying and they they would know when they had really messed something up because the error messages would be in Hebrew. <laughs> Get down to like the base the level program. Yeah, <laughs> like oh my uh, God. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the, these vehicles are like a whole new breed. Um, they've got real time like video data link. Uh, way better than you know the 1940s TV that um, uh, the uh, you know like Af- Project Aphrodite had. Um, that's actually usable, and they can actually bring it not just to a, a mothership, but to a you know all the way back to like a command center. To, you know, the, the commander can actually view this footage in real time. Um, they've got autopilots. They've got lasers that can be used to to guide laser guided bombs, uh, or or just point out things oh i get it now this is the early version of the jewish space laser it's the jewish air laser oh, yeah, yeah yeah they didn't quite have the budget for a space program at the time so you know you gotta start small yeah, yeah. okay that makes sense <clears throat> proof of concept yeah and the bigger ones can carry their own bombs too um the big draw to them is that they can sit on station for hours um i can't remember what, what war they fought i think it was 1982 early 80s it was I wasn't young before, but one of the other wars, one of the many wars. Um, the, the, that would have been the one with them. Operation Mole Cricket 19. Probably. That's the one. Yeah. It was Operation Mole Cricket 19. They and they used I these literally things to tremendous effects. I literally <laughs> pulled that one out of my head. I don't know how I specifically remembered that, but there you go. I remember you you did some research on that. At, Years well, back. it's the largest modern air battle involving jet aircraft on both sides and resulted in, I want to say, like 80 kills. Um, so it's the largest modern yeah. like, dogfight. So it's <clears> kind of cool for that reason. Yeah, there, there was a massive um, there was a massive Sam hunt as well. And that's what the that's what the uh, the Mastiff and the, the you know, these vehicles were used for. They would spot these Sam's. Um, and they were so small, I'm pretty sure the Soviet SAMs couldn't lock onto them. It's like they wouldn't notice them because they're just they're they're basically stealth by being small. Um, it's like no, that can't be an enemy aircraft. It's too small. There's not enough of a return. Um, so they'd be able to watch these things, you know, and guide them in. Anyway, very effective. Uh, this is where we get to, you know, Predator, Reaper, uh, the killer drones, you know, the kind that you see in the media all the time. Um, they're still remotely piloted. <clears throat> they still have to um, generally be manually landed and taken off. So there's some automation in there, but uh, they're generally much, much more capable. They can land like normal airplanes. They put wheels on them. Um, they can carry, you know, manned grade weapons, you know, the same kind of bombs like an F-16 or an A-10 would carry. Um, they have SATCOM data link now, so now this is literally a case of where you get people in North Carolina, not North Carolina, sorry, North Dakota, up in Grand Forks. Uh, those guys are the ones steering all the you know predators and reapers over in Afghanistan and Iraq. Like they're they're steering them from the states. 
because they have this SATCOM, you know, military satellite data link that can communicate sure. and send this footage back, and, you know, to the Pentagon or wherever. So, yeah, pretty cool. Um, also, as Paul was making earlier, much better at killing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but up to this entire up to this point, it's been all military um, vehicles. Hence uh, the killing people, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it turns out civil organizations they just don't have the use cases or the budget to justify or the, the all legal the su- ability. <laughs> yeah, the and the the logistics and the support staff required and the you know the mission availability rates on a lot of these things are you know not not great, um, and. There, there were some cases like the Arasond, uh, which is a vehicle. It's, it's interesting because so the Arasond is a vehicle I, I was trained to work on. And the original like prototype version one Arasond, the version I worked on was much later. Um, version one Arasond was, was actually a civil design. It was designed to do weather research. And it was the first air vehicle that was flown into a hurricane. Um, think one of them survived and the other one didn't and then another one flew across the atlantic and it was the first vehicle the unmanned vehicle to cross the atlantic ocean uh, and it was later like immediately done with a different unmanned vehicle um but you know this this was that was in like the 1990s so um that wasn't until then you know that the civil unmanned vehicles actually become feasible and it's because you know digital electronics are becoming cheaper uh, and then, of course, we get GPS. That's a huge technology for this kind of thing, because now there's no longer you can get this really lightweight, low power receiver, and that's your solution for positioning. And it, it's pretty good. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's good enough. You know where the Game thing changer. is. Game changer. Yeah, I'm yeah. imagining. I'm imagining trying to create a drone that navigates off of VORs. <laughs> like i just uh, that would be that would be something um yeah not not i i wonder i imagine some of like predator and whatnot probably like tacan in them but i don't know yeah that that radio data link is you know a lot of times military put that in there as a backup but for the most part they're they're using gps um and it's really not until 2000s, 2010s, you know, recent history that um, civil vehicles become a thing. You, know, you get the, the lithium-ion battery is the, is the big thing. So, you know, thanks to those children in uh, Tanzania, uh, we get cheap, energy-dense batteries uh, that, you know, enable things like uh, half-hour flights on, you know, $500 vehicles uh, that have, you know, real-time data link streams. Uh, they have cameras with gimbals on them that make, you know, smooth footage. Uh, you know, and there's yeah, a little yeah, Chinese yeah. surveillance sprinkled in there as well. Uh, it's part of the. It's part of why it's five hundred dollars. You know, not seven hundred dollars. You, know, you, you gotta let President G uh, uh, watch over your shoulder whenever he wants. But uh, so now you know we have hundreds of designs. You know, these these you see these quadcopters now, right? And that comes from well, up to this point, you know, electric batteries right like like a night you know having like a nicad battery something it's like okay that's cool it can fly for you know five minutes right it's, it's like that's that's stupid but with lithium ion it's like no that quadcopter design it's not very aerodynamically efficient but it's really you know it can take off and land really easy it can fly any direction up down yeah it's um, also like it, extremely stable i believe well it's stable to... yeah it's stable if because you have 
uh, electric motors where you can fine tune right. the torque and you have really you have, easily, yeah, really four quickly. Different, four different points that you can adjust to make that happen. Yep. Yep. And yeah, it makes it, you know, that's the technology for that did, hasn't come together until, you know, the last, like I said, the last 10 years or so, really. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of where we get to uh, the part of history that's kind of still being written, right? Like the implications of all these technology. And that's why I can yeah. have my Chinese spy drone that folds up into a neat little package and I can carry it around with me and take 4K video. Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so now we have this design being scaled up into you know electric air taxis, which are um, you know basically flying cars. Uh, you know, the favorite of the futurists and the tech journalists. Um, that's still a, that's not a thing yet. It's kind of, it's kind of a thing, right? There's I think there's a couple companies that are starting to build. You know, they basically call them like flying motorcycles or whatever, and they're like you know like seventy thousand dollars and. You know, they can only fly for 30 minutes, but it's becoming a thing. It's just not a thing yet. And, you know, now we're talking about future future technology. And, you know, it's supposed to be a history podcast and all. But, um, yeah, that's uh, that's drones. So thank, thank you for droning on about the drones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, now, so. Oh, that's, that's like, that's perfect. That's like an hour down to the second. That was pretty darn good, yeah, thank you. I mean, so for those of you wondering, for the, like the one listener who may or may not have made it this far, we are doing King Leopold Part 2. Uh, it will hopefully be up next week, short of short of catastrophic events. Um, but yeah. we took a little bit of a break from that just because I'm still scripting Part 2 because uh, it's a bit of a slog, I'll put it that way. Uh, um, no, no spoilers, but a lot of people die, like... And not in like, not in like, I mean, not, not that it's ever fun when people die, but like, you can kind of laugh at these European explorers when they like slog across a continent and just are like casually like destroying villages along the way. Cause it's just like, what's even the point of this? It's so stupid. Um, you know, it's comedy equals tragedy plus time or whatever. But yeah, like, sure. when you're talking about just essentially genocide, it gets a little... Yeah, a little less fun. Um, but yeah, yeah, anyway, thanks, Jonathan, you know, for jumping here's in. Here's the thing we forgot to ask, though, right? How many AKs does it take to build one of these drones? Ooh. Ooh. Um, one for a small one. For a small one? Yeah. One What about plus. these, like, the big bombers, right? Like... Uh, so like Global Hawk. Some of these big drones certainly cost more than in Alaska. Oh, definitely they have to. Yeah. So like a Global Hawk is. Oh, they don't have a price on here. Wait. Um, eight hundred million dollars. Holy! For... So literally a hundred Alaskas for a Global. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. I think that <laughs> you was... could buy like more land. Wait, hold on a second. That was for four of them. Oh wait, okay, four. So it's two hundred million each. Yeah. Okay. Okay, but two hundred and change. Yeah. Okay, so Alaska, right? Alaska land area is six hundred and sixty-three thousand square miles. And what is? Well, it's giving me. Let's see. Okay, so the all of the land area on Earth is fifty-seven point five million. 
So if we do 57.5 million divided by 660,000, we get 87. So you could conceivably buy, if you could get all of the land on earth for the going price of an Alaska when the United States bought Alaska, you could conceivably buy all of the land on earth for the price of the Global Hawk program. Very nice. So that, that was four of them being sold to South Korea, I should, I should mention. So, and a lot of these Lord. are probably the avionics up front. That's like usually most of the cost. Um, as far as back to AKs, um, an RQ4 weighs 32,000 pounds. Um, Jesus. So an AK-47. But a lot of that's probably uh, like composites and stuff that you couldn't necessarily... Like, we could make a bunch of future AKs. We just use metal. Um, we just I use... would say... I, th I think it's probably mostly aluminum. Okay. Um, I, well, okay. Yeah. It could so be we, we come up with but... we come up with some weird aluminum barrel... Um, I didn't know if we'd have like some weird composites where we have to make all the furniture of the AKs out of like cool futuristic looking material. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you could you could conceivably sell some of the parts and turn them into wood. You know, change the money and buy wood. But uh, so an AK is about seven pounds, right? That sounds so, about right. Uh, let's see, thirty, how many thousand? I say thirty. Uh. Let's see, 32,250. Uh, let's see, calculator, 32,000. Divided by 7.5. Uh, 4,200 AKs, somewhere around there. There you go. So, yeah. Now, the real question is, how many AKs could we buy with Alaska? That Ooh. is the most important question <laughs> that we have ever asked on this podcast. I mean, where are we buying them, right? That's, I mean, it's a fair question. I just, that's why I'm trying to figure out, like, um, how much What's did the, like... it cost the Soviet Union to make an AK-47? Which I know this gets into like funny money territory. Yeah, well, I was um, gonna say because like if you're trying to get a like a in Somalia, I think you can get an AK-47 for like two goats, <laughs> something like that, or, so, or five chickens. It's yeah, it's a typical range for an AK, twenty eight hundred to thirty six hundred. That sounds expensive. That does sound expensive. That My sounds AK on the dark costs net. Seven hundred bucks, but I just have a lame civilian AK. So, it's but if a yeah. genuine AK-47 is an NFA Class 3 weapon, and it would yeah. likely cost somewhere well, see, in that... the fifteen to $20,000 range. Right. See, that's a, like a Type 1. That's like a, yeah. that's like a golden goose. Like, right? That's if we like... go on Gunbroker and look up, like, yeah, transferable AK-47. Yeah. Hold on, let's, let's go on Machine Gun... Um... Okay, no, yeah, here we go. TrueGunValue.com. The average price is $938. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, I'm trying to find if I can find one on Gunbroker right now, and unfortunately, I'm not seeing. There's plenty of um, 
plenty of AR pattern stuff up for sale at the moment, but I'm not seeing any AKs. Got a G3 here. That's fun. Um, mm, oh, oh, here's an AK. Here we go. Uh, Twenty-five thousand dollars for this one here. Okay, so. <clears throat> but that's obviously, yeah, just because of law, not really the raw material cost of that yeah. particular item. So, but yeah, $930. So then we punch in our 7 million divided by 938. About. So we get, we get about seven and a half thousand AKs for Alaska. It's pretty good. I, that's like a, it's like a, it's like a full army. Yeah. It's like a division at least, yeah. I mean a couple of motor rifle brigades. What's the better purchase though? I feel you know, like Alaska was naturally if I if we could get seven thousand people to come along with the AKs to give them to, and then we can, you know, accomplish tasks with those people and their AKs, perhaps we could, you know, that might be the better purchase, but I feel like if we just get Alaska and all of the raw materials therein, I feel like we're probably uh, we're probably coming out ahead. I feel like we could probably get more than seven million dollars of oil rights recouped right away. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to mention you could probably mine some, you know, iron and, and steel and whatnot, and you know, craft that into AKs. Yeah, of course. So actually. The real question is, yeah, how many AKs can we craft out of Alaska if we it's, buy it's, it? It's just AKs all the way down. <laughs> just... Yeah. Well, again, because AK and Alaska both have the same abbreviation. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's important to remind people. Indeed. indeed anyway, we've absolutely. thoroughly derailed this episode of Cacistocracy. Oh, Thank yeah. you for tuning in. Thank you to We didn't Jonathan. derail enough during it, so we had to save it for the end. You know? Yeah, we just had Correct. to have yeah. nonsense at the end about AKs. Absolutely. And... All right. right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for recording the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no problem. Pleasure to be on, and uh, hopefully I'll return at some point with more cool facts in history. Sounds cool good. facts. Indeed.